0: Just reminded, remind just singing that song again, there's a line that says um, forever I'm changed by your love and I, and I love this song and we've not sung it for a while and, and I suddenly realised that you, you, could, you could see that, that phrase two different ways, forever I'm changed by your love is like forever, no going back, there's a definite cut off point, it's like something has gone from A to B and forever it will be that way and the other way of looking at it is that forever is a continual process. <laughs> So forever, I am being changed by your love. And do you know what? This morning, when we we sang that at the earlier service, I, I just really felt such a gratefulness and a thankfulness in my heart. Again, that actually I'm being forever changed by by God's love. So when I mess up and I get things wrong, or, or I say things that I wish I could take back, or or I find that you know that that my mouth is well running away with me and my brain's not engaged, and which can often happen. Um, this line is written over my life that forever I'm being changed by his love. And, and whether you would say this morning that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ or not, I just want you to know that, that if you haven't, don't ever look at the people who have and think that we've, got, that we've made it and we've got it because we are being changed by his love continually. And we may get things wrong, and we may not say things in the right way, and sometimes we may even offend you, but know that over our lives, it's written as a community, forever we are being changed by his love. And out of that love then comes all the other facets and aspects of God's character. But everything flows out of that one thing. And I just want to thank you this morning, God, that forever... I am, we are being changed by your love. That it wasn't, a, it, it, it wasn't a one day done deal and then we have to work it all out by ourselves and try and get things right. But God, we are continually in this process with you of being changed. And God, would you help us this morning to see you as you really are and to understand a little bit more about your character. And God, more than that, to see how that character is worked out in the world that we live in and the people that we do life with and the people that... We just bump into along our way. So, would you help us this morning, God? I pray, as we want to um, understand more about you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. That was great. And you know, and as we look at this topic this morning about, about Mr. Grumpy, it's a lot, lot deeper than that, really. But just keep that line maybe in your mind about actually whatever we look at to, to think that actually over our lives is written that line. That we're continually being changed. And, uh, and as we look at Mr. Grumpy, um, normally Russ provides all of my sermon material for me. and, um, and But this time actually I thought I'd give him a, a day off. And um, even though you know he did say to me himself that he does fit this character quite well, and was expecting me to give you endless stories of his grumpiness, um, I thought we'd give him a day off, and I thought today we'd look at cats, because we have a cat, and, um, and he actually epitomises grumpiness far, far better than, than any, any, any human being can, and there's a website that's called grumpycat.com, which has sort of taken the internet by storm a little bit and there's loads of, of pictures of this one cat looking incredibly grumpy and somebody's written some phrases under his face which are quite amusing really but actually it's so amusing that you think oh no actually that is me so we can have a look at a few of these as they come up please at the back and um, and this one is no um, and I just think you have yeah, those people saying before you speak they go no no if whatever you're going to say, it's no. And, uh, and so I'm sure we all know that that may even be you. That may even be me, be me this morning. The second one is from Frozen. Love is an open door. Close it, says Grumpy Cat. Um, he obviously doesn't want any touchy feeling, not an emotional feeling kind of animal at all. Uh, and maybe we're a little, bi- little bit like that sometimes. And this one, I have a dream that one day you'll shut up. I'm sure that Grumpy Cat is saying the thing that often may be in our heads sometimes. But we wouldn't actually say it, we'd we just think it. And this one is, uh, if you're happy and you know it, stop it. Uh, the, there are those people in our, in our world, aren't there, Nick? It may even be me, where um, we sort of want to put a bit of blanket over things and calm people down a bit, you're getting too excited for me, you're making me feel uncomfortable, so can you just stop it? And, and this one, that thermometer shouldn't have gone in there, which is my personal favourite. <laughs> Um, If you have any pet at all and you take it to the vets, we all know where the thermometer goes. And so Grumpy Cat has my complete, complete understanding with that one. But what is grumpy anyway? And so we're going to look at a character in the Bible. And this is the closest thing I could find really. And his name is Jonah. Jonah. And um, you may know a little bit about the Jonah story. You may know nothing at all about who this guy was. So I'm just going to give you a little bit of a recap really on on the background to him before we get to actually looking at what what I really want to say. So Jonah was this guy who felt that God had had asked him to do something. God had asked him to go and deliver a message to a place called Nineveh. Um, and Jonah didn't want to go, so he, he did go, but he didn't go where God wanted him to go. He got on a boat, and he ended up going towards a different direction. And during that time, he was on the boat, a storm blew up, and, um, and the sailors got really sort of agitated and worked out that actually it was Jonah's fault, that, that God was upset with something that was going on. And so Jonah was thrown overboard. You'd think that the end of the story, but no, God provided this big fish um, to come and swallow up Jonah, and then then, then then presented him on dry land, but if you if 're really, really quick, you can work out that actually the place that the fish literally landed Jonah was the place that God wanted him to go in the first place, which was Nineveh. So Jonah finds himself in this city with terrible things going on with the people, and he has to give them a message and His message is the first Twitter sermon ever ever recorded in the Bible. It is eight words long. And this is Jonah's message about the compassion and love of God to a whole group of people and he says this 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned and he sits down and that's it, thank you very much. You'd love it wouldn't you if I did that. If I could get my sermon into 8 words for you this morning I so would because I so respect the fact that he got it all in that. But in those 8 words there is nothing about God's grace, nothing about God's mercy, nothing about what God wants to do, his love and compassion for people it's like, it's like the original turn or burn sermon that, that you know you would think really but then what happens amazing thing happens the whole city the whole whole city 120,000 people suddenly believe the message turn towards God get a relationship with him it's the biggest revival in history and you think Jonah would be like yay this is amazing oh God I'm so glad that you got me here in the end But that isn't what happened. And we're going to look at a little bit about actually how we can be a little bit like Jonah sometimes in the situations that we find ourselves in. And there's a slight obsession at the moment, isn't it, with Hollywood, with biblical movies. If you think you've had had Noah, we've had Moses... And and I think if they did Jonah as an epic Hollywood film, that's where they would stop. The 120,000 people, you know, coming to Christ and and having a you know celebrating that event, and that's where he would stop. But if we look in our Bible, there's another chapter after that, chapter four, which actually is there for our benefit, I think is there for our benefit. And we're going to read that chapter together. We're going to read chapter four. It will come up on your screens because you know you just can't please people no matter what you do? And I think this is a little bit where Jonah found himself. So we're just going to read chapter four together and it will come up on the screens. So to, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That's what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. And there he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. It is, he said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people? A really interesting interesting story that ends Jonah's story in the Bible. But to say the fact that that Jonah was upset about God was going to destroy this city doesn't really cover it because the word for angry in the Greek is actually raging. Jonah was raging. Jonah was really boiling. He was red hot with anger. And and before we sort of kick Jonah while he's down, um, it just might be interesting just to think a bit this morning about Isn't it fair to say um, that we all sometimes wonder why God doesn't judge a certain personal group of people? I know I've had that thought cross my mind. You know, maybe there are some people in our world where if something happened to them, we'd go, well, they had it coming. They had it coming. So glad that's happened. We may not say it out loud, but I think we might think that. Because for Jonah, Nineveh was like the ISIS of his day. That's how bad it was. So where God was asking him to go was quite a dangerous place. And a place where actually we would want to see some judgment rather than some mercy. And so Jonah prays, and for the first time here, I think we see the very reason why he didn't want to go to Nineveh. You see, I always thought that maybe he might have been afraid. He might have thought it was too hard. You know, the task was too big. He he, he wouldn't feel comfortable doing that. But I think he wasn't frightened of failing. I think he was frightened of it being a success. Because he knew the character of God. And it's almost like Jonah is saying here, I knew this would happen. I knew you'd do this. I knew you wouldn't wipe them off the face of the earth. I knew you'd relent. I knew you wouldn't go through what you said you were going to do. And so it's almost like Jonah isn't having an argument with God because he's got a false impression of who God is. Jonah is arguing with God about a true perception of who God actually is. And Jonah is arguing with God about his mercy. (laughs) About his mercy. And when people get angry like Jonah, they can do foolish things. And so Jonah is complaining that God is merciful in nature. And I think he's starting to see mercy as some kind of weakness, as a character that isn't to be honoured, that isn't to be valued. And so he's angry and disappointed with God's character, and he's rather died than to the results of God's compassion. And it got me thinking that Jonah's a bit like the older brother in the prodigal son story. If you remember uh, the story about the prodigal son, um, the younger son goes to the father and says, Can you give me all your money, please? I want to go and enjoy my life now. And the father says yes you know take it go he goes and if you know the story he squanders all the money he ends up living with pigs he ends up not being able to um to to sort of look after himself and he suddenly comes to his senses and and we've spoken about this many times here he suddenly comes to his senses he has an aha moment if you remember the series that we did then and he thinks i need to go back to my father and so he gets up and he goes, and the father sees him, and we know how the story ends. But we also know about the older brother, who actually has a bit of a strop on, doesn't he? He actually says, you know, what well, he's done this and he's done that, and yet you're still asking him to come back. You're still asking him to come back. And it suddenly struck me, but the older brother was perfectly fine with his brother starving with the pigs. He didn't go out and try and find him. He didn't go out and try and draw him back. He was absolutely fine with the fact the decision that his brother had made maybe but he was well grumpy when his brother came back and the father showed him mercy and compassion. Because the irony is that sometimes we are fine with mercy when we receive it but we don't handle it very well when God shows it to other people. And that's hard for me to say because I'm one of those people. I'm one of those people. And Jonah was exactly the same. He'd forgotten about the fact he'd been saved from the bottom of the sea. He'd forgotten about the fact that God had sent this huge fish to, to save him and, and bring him to where God wanted him to be. He was really thankful at that point. But here we see him resenting God for what God does well, which is bring mercy and grace to people that need it, like me. And I found this quote, and I didn't know who it was, but then Luke told me at the last service, I'm going to get this right, Anne Lamotte. And this quote's going to come up on the screen, and she says it better than I can. You can tell you've made God in your image when it turns out he hates all the same people you do. And I think it's really easy to slip into that frame of of thinking. That actually, I know God so well, he he would have my opinion. He would have my outcome. He would have my result in the situation that we're in. And we can read Jonah and we can think, God, what are you going to do about Nineveh and the terrible things that they're doing? But actually the question is really, God, what are you going to do about Jonah? Because the truth is, there's a little Jonah in all of us and there's a lot of Jonah in most of us. And I count myself in that last category. This has really made me examine myself as I've come to do this. Because mercy is a beautiful thing, isn't it? There's a great song called Beautiful Scandalous Grace. And it's a beautiful thing when we know that we need it. But actually it becomes something completely different when we think it's extended to people that we don't think are getting the judgment we think they should have. And so God answers Jonah with this intriguing question. Do you do well to be angry? And I don't think God's having a go at him. I think God's doing something really clever here. I think God is saying to Jonah, reassess your situation, mate. Are you sure that your evaluation of what has just happened before your very eyes is the right one? And this is a great question to ask ourselves when we strop off and we get grumpy about stuff. And we get unhappy and annoyed and displeased with something. Because when are we more likely to get angry and stroppy with God? And I think there are three things and three occasions when, when I know that I do. The first one is when I think I deserve something from God and I find him guilty for not giving it to me. I can have a strop on with God then because I don't see any reason why I shouldn't have that thing and that thing shouldn't work out the way I think it should work out and I can be like Jonah and have a bit of a strop and the second thing is when I think someone else is too unworthy and I'm angry with God for giving them the thing that I want or the thing that I think they don't deserve and I wonder why God doesn't have a conversation with me about that but he does, he asks me a question he says, Do you do well to be angry about this, Jane? And the third thing is, and this is the hardest one, it's when God takes away something from me which I think He had no right to remove. And then I find myself in a place where my conversation and my attitude towards God is very, very different. And then I need to think am I sure what I think has happened has actually happened? And is my response to it the right one? And it could be yes to the first question. Has what has happened actually happened? Or well, yes, it has. But the second question is the most important one. But is my response the right one to have? And God asked Jonah this great question, but he doesn't answer it. And if you notice what he does, he leaves the city. He goes away. He builds himself a little, a little shelter that's not fit for purpose, really. And he just sits and he waits to see what will happen to the city of Nineveh. And he puts himself on the best vantage point ever. It's almost like he's waiting for the film to start. And it's like, right, let's see what you do now, God. Let's see what you do now. He's still hoping that God's going to wipe them off the face of the earth. Because he still hasn't got it. He still hasn't got it. And the shelter Jonah made wasn't up to the job. So in verse 6, God provides him with this huge plant. And it grows so fast and so large that it covers him, shades him from the sun, keeps him from his discomfort. And Jonah loved that plant. He had it for a day, but he loved it. Absolutely loved it. But then God does something really, really clever. God appoints, The Bible says this, God appoints a worm to eat the plant and kill it. And then doesn't stop there, he sends a scorchingly hot wind, hot enough anyway, sends a hot wind to beat down on Jonah, and Jonah gets depressed and discouraged, and he wants to die. So if he wasn't grumpy before, he is now. He is now. And once again, Jonah asks the question, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And this time, Jonah answers: he says, too right I do. Too right I do well to be angry. Have you not felt how hot it is here? And you've just given me something and taken it away within 24 hours. Of course I'm angry. I'm angry enough to die. And then God gives him an explanation, which I think is incredible. God says to him, you had nothing to do with that plant, Jonah. He didn't tend it. He didn't plant it. He didn't water it. You just enjoyed it. You just enjoyed it. And Jonah starts to behave like a spoilt child. You know the one when I was a kid used to hold your breath? I'm holding my breath till you tell me I can have it. And that's what Jonah's doing. He's saying, if I don't get my own way, then you might as well have my life. Because it's not worth it, is it? If you don't give me back that plant, you might as well just kill me off. And then I thought, actually, what would I say? Actually, I would say, I'm not going to give if I don't get my way. I'm not going to give you my time. Not going to give you my talent, and I'm certainly not going to give you my money. And we become this great word, we become petty. And Jonah was really being petty. And petty people aren't attractive people, are they? Petty people aren't great to be around they've lost their vision, and they become obsessed with really insignificant things. The smallest thing means such a huge amount to them that they get so fixated on it, you can't move past that thing because of the pettiness that they do. And God asks this question to Jonah because Jonah needs an attitude adjustment. And so how does God adjust our attitude? And looking at this story, I think there are three things. And the first thing is, God tries to adjust our attitude through challenging experiences. And you could say to me, well, Jane, it's obvious really, isn't it? Wasn't Jonah's bad attitude caused by his experience? He'd gone through all that. He'd seen all that happen. Of course he was going to get stroppy. Of course he was going to get grumpy and angry. But actually God already knew what Jonah's attitude was like. God just put Jonah in a place where his attitude could be exposed. And sometimes God does that to me. He'll put me in a situation. He'll put me in, a, in, a, in, in an environment where what's really on the inside of me comes spilling out. And if I'm really, really good, I can hold my mouth shut. So I'm just feeling that. I'm not saying it. But sometimes I forget myself and I do say things that I wish I hadn't said because I'm in a challenging experience. The second time is through challenging questions all the time. God loves questions If you really want to do like um, a study of the Bible and try and look at stuff, looking at where God asks questions is a great place to start. He asks some great questions. Because that's where our attitude change begins from. Do I have a good reason to feel this way? And the third thing is through challenging lessons. And they often challenge what concerns me. So what are you concerned about this morning? And what would you say God is concerned about? And do those two match up? Because when I look at my concerns and I look at God's concerns and if they don't match up then I know which one's moved because God's concern for people never changes. God's heart for people never changes. God's longing to meet with people never changes. So it's me. The attitude change needs to come with me because he's not concerned about where I am so much or what I'm doing. It's about who I'm becoming. Who I'm becoming. And Jonah feels compassion for the plant because it had a purpose for him. And he had no compassion for the people of Nineveh because they offended him. They offended him. They offended his belief as what was right and what was wrong. And Jonah had done what God had asked of him, but this just shows me that I can do what God asked me to do, but with a stinking rotten attitude. (laughs) It's really easy, isn't it, to do the right thing for the wrong reason. But does that make it right? And I can hide my bad motivation with a load of good deeds. And Jonah obeyed God, but it didn't mean his heart was right with God. And God wants our hearts. Because he wants us to do things with a gladness and with a joy, not grudgingly and grumpily. And so to the verse 11 at the end where God asks his final question. And actually the question that ends the whole book and is never ever answered by Jonah because I think that's left for us to answer I think that's a question that's left hanging for you and me to answer this morning and has been left hanging for over 2,000 years because God's biggest problem wasn't with Nineveh because the moment they heard the message they believed the biggest problem is with me and how I respond to that because I'm a lot more like Jonah than I'd care to admit to you this morning And Jonah had two problems. On the surface, it seems that Jonah has no compassion at all for Nineveh and for the people there. He doesn't care if they die. In fact, he quite hopes they do. But the real problem is he has no room for a God who does. And so will we have God's heart for the Ninevehs of the world today? I just want to leave you with three things this morning that have really challenged me. One is this statement, God loves Nineveh. God loves Nineveh. And where is that today? Well, actually, it's not actually a place, but I want to suggest to you that it's people. It's people. It could be your next-door neighbour that you just wish would move out. (laughs) It could be your boss at work that you just think, I could really do that job better than you. You make some numpty decisions. It could even be the people you've had in your world that are hard for you to love now. We need to look around. We live in Nineveh, we work in Nineveh, but God still loves Nineveh. And sometimes I look at our cities and I think, God, you must hate that city and what goes on in there. But actually, God doesn't hate the city. He loves it. He absolutely poured out his heart for it. So God still loves Nineveh. The second thing is, God is still willing to do whatever it takes to get me to Nineveh and get you to Nineveh. And sometimes God gives us Jonah things to do, doesn't he? Things that call out our faith and our courage. Maybe there's something that's happening in your world right now and it's a bit of an injustice for somebody and you know maybe God is calling to speak out about something, to stand up for somebody, to stand in the gap. But you know in doing that, that may put you on the outside. That may mean your group of friendship changes. It may mean that people might start to treat you differently. That's a Jonah call. That's a Jonah call. Maybe God's given you responsibility that you think is too hard to bear or it really breaks your heart. That's a Jonah call. I've been in meetings this week where some of the work that we have to do are with young people in situations that are soul-destroying, really. And I can sit there, and I've had this, this message in, in my mind for, for weeks, really, but sit there, and I sit in a meeting this week, and I, I'll actually find myself thinking, but, but God, you wouldn't want them to come to know you, would you? You wouldn't want you wouldn't want that that type of person, them, because them takes the, takes the personality out of it, doesn't it? Because it's them. It almost gives us a justifiable reason to, to say something. What I'm not saying is that people shouldn't have consequences for the actions that they take, but that's totally different to whether they need mercy and grace from God. And maybe God's spoken to you and asked you to do something and you've been saying, no, no, I can't, no, I won't, no, I shouldn't, no, I couldn't. But maybe this morning you can have a different conversation with God and say, actually, I'm willing to talk to you about this now. I'm willing to be made willing to go and do that. And the third thing is, it's all because Nineveh needs us. Nineveh needs us. And for all its stuff that had got going on, Nineveh was ready for God. Nineveh was ready for Jonah to come. And you don't get that from the text because the Ninevites don't say anything. They would have said they weren't looking for it. They would have said they weren't aware of it. They would have said that, you know, they weren't intentionally seeking out to change their lives maybe, but God knew. And God knew if one man went with one message, he knew what the outcome would be. And it's the same message that we carry. It's the same message we carry. And we're going to take communion together. And if you remember um, a few weeks ago, if you were here and I, and I spoke, we had communion then. We did about the family. And we talked about the communion table being a family table. where ev- It's level ground. Anybody and everybody can come and partake of communion because it levels everything out for us. But this morning I want us to take communion because I want to remember the mercy giver. I want us to remember this morning that when we take this, We are taking that and remembering what God has done for us. Because all we've got to carry is grace. Because that's all we've been given. And you could say, well, no, Jane, there's loads of things, isn't there? You know, there's freedom. And and yet, and you could list loads of things, but I want to suggest to you that that will come from the grace that we've had and the love that we've experienced to do something that we could never change ourselves. And so the servers are going to bring out communion to you. And, and I just want you to, to take it and take it when you're ready. It will come out across your rows. And just have a moment's reflection with God. And just thank him for the grace and mercy that you've received. And if you would say this morning that you're not, you're not a Christian, you'd say that you're still exploring what this whole, this whole thing means, about what this whole world looks like. I'm going to say to you, actually, this doesn't exclude you. Because this could be a time where God could say to you, do you know what, this is what I do. This is how I work. And don't ever think that us Christians have got it all together and we're all sorted, because we have not. We are forever being changed. I just know that I need it. And sometimes I forget it. But all I have to carry is mercy and grace. Because that's what I've received. And I'm invite the band to come back and just play as you give it out. And as you take it, some words are going to appear on the screen. And it's from a poem that I found, actually. And, um, and it says this. And Jonah stalked to his shaded seat and waited for God to come around to his way of thinking. And God is still waiting for a host of Jonah's in their comfortable houses to come around to his way of loving. And as we take communion this morning, just let those words just drip into your heart this morning. Some of my ways of thinking need to change, and I need to come around to God's way of loving people.